I am convinced that the reason some people don't come to church is because things happen here and are said here that remind them of their own spiritual frustration. For example, a woman said to me, Mark, I know this is bad and I'm not proud of it. I hate to admit it. But she said, I always feel a little envious and maybe even a little resentful when I come to church and I hear people talking about how God has answered their prayers because he never seems to answer my prayers. And I'm wondering if you uh, have ever felt that way. Have you ever just wondered why everybody seems to get their prayers answered but you? If so, then this message is especially for you today. I want to talk to you about how you can become one of those people whose prayers get answered. And we're going to explore this question by looking at a certain passage of Scripture in, in Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, Luke chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I need only to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen a faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Now, the man we meet in this passage is a military officer, and the original language suggests that he was a centurion. Maybe that's the word that's used in your particular version of the Bible. He was a centurion, meaning he was an officer over 100 men. And verse 9 says that this man amazed Jesus. And I've always been struck by that comment. If there was a basketball player that amazed LeBron James, wouldn't you think that would have to be an amazing basketball player? If there was an opera singer that amazed Andrea Bocelli, wouldn't you think that would have to be an incredible singer? Well, this is a man who amazed Jesus. And so that tells you right there that this is an incredible spiritual man. And so in the time we have remaining this morning, I want to look at four qualities this man possessed that made Jesus want to answer his prayer. And as we look at these four qualities, we need to think about ourselves. Do we have these qualities? And are we the kind of people that the Lord looks at us and says, hey, I want to answer your prayer? Four qualities. Let's look at them. First of all, this centurion was a compassionate man. 
We see it very clearly in verse 2, where we're told that he was deeply concerned about one of his slaves who was sick and about to die. And you know why that's so striking? Because in those days, masters did not typically fraternize or have personal relationships with their slaves. In fact, a slave in those days was simply thought of as a tool or an implement to be used to get work done. If you have a screwdriver at home or a hammer or a drill, what kind of relationship do you have with that implement? Well, you don't sit around all day and think about it, do you? You don't have like warm feelings in your heart for your screwdriver or your drill. It's not that kind of relationship. It's just a tool. It's just something to use to get work done. And you know what happens when one of your tools at home breaks or won't work anymore? You don't cry. You don't mourn it for weeks. You don't have a funeral. You throw it in the trash and go get another one. But this Roman officer was different. He didn't treat his slaves that way. He obviously cared about his slaves, went out of his way um, to try to help this man, even though he was obviously broken and of no use to him in terms of getting work done. Now listen carefully. When you pray, when you make any kind of personal request of God, you are basically asking God to show compassion to you. You're basically saying, Lord, look, I'm in a situation here. I need your help. I can't handle this on my own. Would you please step in and help me? Doesn't it stand to reason that God would be much more inclined to show compassion to someone who shows compassion to others? I mean, I think that's got to be true. And so this is our first checkpoint when it comes to being the kind of people whose prayers get answered. How compassionate are you toward others? When you ask God to help you, could he look at you and say, why should I help you? You don't ever help anybody. But now I think we need to maybe go a little deeper here. Because this business of showing compassion to others and being concerned about others and helping others, it's a little more complicated than you might think. Every time I pull up to an intersection and I see people in yellow vests holding buckets that say, help children on the side, every time I see those folks, I'm reminded that being compassionate, sometimes there's a fine line between being compassionate and being foolish. When I see drivers reaching out of their car windows and dropping their change into those buckets, I always think, how do you know that money is going to be put to good use? How do you know those people holding those buckets have any integrity at all? Unless you happen to know them personally. I never do. They're total strangers to me. How do you know if they are total strangers... How do you know that needy children are ever going to see that money? I believe that as Christians, part of being a good steward is making sure that the money we give is being used properly. And if you can't do that, you probably ought to find another way to give your money, another mission or an organization to support, because there are a lot of good ones out there that use the money for what it's supposed to be used for, not to mention your own local church, which is run by people you know and which gives to missions that are fully vetted.
But here's another thing about being compassionate. Don't think that because you occasionally drop your pocket change into a bucket at a stoplight, that God counts you as a compassionate person. Compassion is not supposed to be an occasional whim that you respond to when you're feeling guilty that day or you know, when you're trying to make up with God or maybe you're trying to get a favor from God so maybe God will answer my prayer if I drop a little change in the bucket. True compassion is a lifestyle. I don't believe God will count you as a compassionate person until you begin to consistently show that you care about people and especially people who can do nothing for you in return. See, if you give to people because you're hoping they will give something back to you, that's not compassion. That's a, a business strategy. That's not compassion. And I look at this passage with this Roman centurion. His slave at this point is sick, so sick he's about to die. He has nothing left to give this Roman centurion, and yet the man still cared about him and was trying to help him. This morning, how compassionate are you? If you say, God, I want you to help me, would God say to you, why should I help you? You never help anybody. And if that's true, then maybe we've hit on the reason why your prayers don't get answered. I think one of the reasons Jesus was so impressed with this man was that he had such compassion in his heart. But here's a second admirable quality I see in this Roman officer. He was not only a compassionate man, he was an involved man. Uh, and when I say involved, I mean involved in the work of the kingdom. I see that in verse 5 where it says this man built a synagogue for the Jews to worship in. And what makes that interesting is that he wasn't a Jew. He was a, a Gentile. And if you know anything at all about your Bible history, you know the Jews and the Gentiles uh, didn't get along very well. In fact, it's still true today that uh, Jews and Gentiles don't always get along that well. If you've been watching the news lately, you know there's a big um, you know, uproar uh, in our country about anti-Semitism. But this Roman officer went against type. Rather than hating the Jews, he loved them. And it's clear that his affection for the Jewish people stemmed from his affection for their God. He didn't have their blood in his veins, but he had their faith in his heart. And I love the fact that his faith was not just lip service. It wasn't just something he claimed to have. It wasn't just something he talked about. He got involved, and he got involved in a big way. He was obviously a man of some means, and he actually built a synagogue for his Jewish friends to worship in. And I'm not saying that you have to go somewhere and build a church building in order to get your prayers answered. But I do think it's fair to say as we read this passage that lip service is not that impressive to the Lord. He wants to see action. Faith without works is dead. I remember a phone call I got one time. The person, a lady called me up and she said that she had... Uh, put an application in for this job, and it was going to be a much better job than she currently had. It was going to pay her a lot more money, really going to help her out. And she said, Mark, would you pray for me that I'll get this job? I said, you know what? I will pray for you. I said, by the way, while I've got you on the phone, I want to ask you, um, are you doing okay? I haven't seen you in a long time. I haven't seen you at church. Are you, 
are you going somewhere else to church? And she said, with laughter, she laughed and said, oh, no. She said, I've just been lazy lately, that's all. You know, it takes some nerve for a person who's doing nothing for God, for a person who can't even roll themselves out of bed and get to church. And I, and I learned, I learned on my sabbatical, and I've had a couple of sabbaticals here, but I've learned on my sabbaticals that getting up and coming to church for an hour on Sunday morning is the easiest thing in the world to do. And when you do what Taylor does, it's not that easy. Because she comes early and she works with a band and she's rehearsing and getting things together. When you do what some of our staff and volunteers do around here, it's not that easy because you have responsibilities. But when all you got to do is roll yourself out of bed and drive to church and sit down and worship God, that is easy. And it takes some nerve when you can't even do that for the Lord, but then you go to Him in prayer and say, Lord, I know I'm not doing anything for you. I know I'm lazy. I know I can't even get to church, but here's what I want you to do for me. How do you think the Lord feels about that? I don't think we have to guess. I think the Bible tells us how He feels about that. Jesus said, give, and it will be given to you. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Friends, the Bible says we reap what we sow. And if you're sowing nothing, then why do you think God's going to bend over backwards to answer your prayers? If you want to be the kind of person whose prayers get answered, then start sowing some seed, start giving, start serving, get involved. Because by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Here's the third admirable quality this Roman centurion possessed. He was a humble man. In verse 6, he sends some messengers to Jesus, and through them he says, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. You know what? He was exactly correct in his assessment of himself. Do you realize there's never been a person born, never a person walked this earth, male or female, who was worthy to stand before God and ask for anything? The only reason we can come to God, the only reason we can pray to Him and ask Him for anything is because of His grace and mercy toward us. It's not because of our worthiness. The thing is, Jesus wasn't accustomed to this kind of humility. Um, remember, He spent a lot of time butting heads with the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, and they were some of the biggest egomaniacs in history. And even His own disciples at times were awfully cocky. Remember that time they were sitting around talking amongst themselves, arguing about who was the greatest? I think this has to be one of the big reasons why Jesus was so impressed with this man. I mean, he was a man of some accomplishment. He was an officer. He was in charge of people, and yet he had such humility. And when these humble words began rolling out of his mouth, Jesus must have thought, whoa, this is amazing. Even my own disciples aren't as humble as this guy. Which begs the question, 
How humble are you when you stand before God? There's one surefire way to tell, and that is to think about how you react when he doesn't answer your prayer. You get mad? You pout? You give God the evil eye? As though he owes you something? If you're a parent, think back to when your kids were little and you're walking through Walmart or Target and, of course, what do the kids always say? They always say, can we go look at the toys? Can we go look at the toys? And when I was a, a, a father, I didn't always agree to that, but as a grandfather, I always do. <laughs> and um, so you go back and you look at the toys. And what happens? Every single time, they see something they want. They see something they want. Oh, can I have this? Can we get this? Can we get this? And as a parent, you know that you're not going to buy them a toy every time you go to a store, and so you say no. Because they've got to learn that they're not going to get everything they want in life. And so you say no. And then what happens? The whining begins, right? Oh, please. And, and they act like they're so mistreated. And when they begin to beg and whine and cry, doesn't that just make you want to go ahead and buy the toy? No. If, it's, if you said yes, you're a bad parent. You... No. I'm worried about some of you people. When, when they begin to whine and cry, you say no, because that's when you have to take a stand. Oh, my. I think I, think I got my sermon topic for next week. No, you want to teach them that they're not going to get everything and they can't get what they want by whining. But the same principle, I think, must hold true with God, that when we gripe and pout and complain because he doesn't give us this or that, um, I don't think he responds well to that. In fact, it's not just my opinion. James 4, 6 says God is opposed to the proud. He's opposed to people who think God owes them something, but he gives grace to the humble. If you want to be a person whose prayers get answered, humble yourself before God. Embrace the simple truth that he owes you nothing. Nothing. And when you get to that place, I think you'll be impressed with that kind of humility because it's so rare. So this Roman centurion was a passionate man. He was an involved man. He was a humble man. Here's one more thing. He was a believing man. Verse 7 says, just, he says, just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. There was absolutely no doubt in this man's mind that Jesus had the power to heal his slave. His slave. Now, most people, when they looked at Jesus, they saw a good man, of course, but they didn't necessarily see an extraordinary man. And and the reason is because Jesus didn't hang out with big shots and he didn't wear fancy clothes and he didn't live in a big house and um, you know, he didn't have many possessions, probably only had whatever possessions he could carry with him. Even the people of his own hometown weren't that impressed with him. When they looked at Jesus, they just saw a guy they remembered as a kid playing in the streets years ago. So there were lots of people who didn't 
see a big God when they looked at Jesus. But, but some people did, and, and this centurion was one who did. He saw way more in Jesus than most people. I remember reading about a man who grew up in New York City. He ran a little shoe store for over 60 years, and then he died. And somebody had clipped his obituary and posted it online, and there was a real interesting statement about this guy that his wife made. His wife was quoted in the obituary as saying that he had never in his entire life traveled more than eight blocks from his store. And that seems almost impossible, doesn't it, in this day and age? But apparently, he had never traveled more than eight blocks from his store. And when I read that, I thought, wow, New York City is such a gigantic place. But to that man, it wasn't gigantic. He didn't see it for what it really was. It had so much to offer him that he never experienced. And I think that's how a lot of people are when it comes to God. He's so great. He's so awesome. He's so amazing. But some people never see that part of him because they never crawl out of that little cocoon they live in. They never ask God for anything really big. They never take a leap of faith. They never give God a chance to show them what he can do. And so to them, throughout their lives, he remains a very small God. How big is your God? How big is your faith? I was reading the other day, and this makes perfect sense if you think about it, that a lot of people who buy lottery tickets uh, don't expect to win, but they buy the tickets anyway. And that makes sense, because if you ask somebody who's buying a lottery ticket, why are you buying this ticket? They're not going to say, well, because I win every week, and I just want to keep the string going. They don't say that. Most of them have never won. Another thing they won't say when you ask them why they buy lottery tickets, they won't say, well, you know, the math is in my favor. 17 million to one, that's not bad odds. They're not going to say that. So why do people buy lottery tickets when they really don't expect to win? Because they have a vague hope that they might get lucky. And honestly, I think that describes the faith of a lot of people. It's not really strong faith. It's not really a firm belief in the awesome power of God. It's just kind of a vague hope that they might get lucky. How big is your faith? Listen, the Bible says God responds to the faith of his people, not to the vague hopes of his people. Let me conclude with a story I heard. A preacher was having a prayer meeting one night at his church. And he asked the people to line up single file, and he said, you know, one at a time, you can stand up on the platform, and I'll pray individually for you. So he was working his way through the line, and pretty soon a man stepped up on the stage who was 
the roughest looking dude he had ever seen in his life. I mean, this guy had prison tats and scars all over his body, long stringy hair. He had piercings. His clothes were dirty. This was the roughest looking guy the preacher had ever seen. And the preacher thought, oh man, I wonder what he's going to want me to pray about. And so the man said, preacher, I need you to pray for my hearing. And the preacher thought, wow, this guy can't hear. Maybe if I pray for him and God answers that prayer and helps him to hear better, maybe this will be the thing that will turn his life around. And so the preacher stepped up to the man and he put his hands over the man's ears and he began to pray. And he began to pray for all he was worth. He never prayed with such enthusiasm. He, he dragged out all the most flowery theological phrases he could think of, and he prayed and he prayed. He gave it everything he had, and finally he said amen and pulled his hands back, and he said, now, how's your hearing? And the man said, I don't know. It's not till next Wednesday down at the courthouse. Which, which only goes to show that when we pray, there are things that can go wrong, right? <laughs> but if you're compassionate, you really care about people and try to help people. If you're involved in the Lord's work and you're not one of those lazy people who never does anything, if you're truly humble before God and understand your place before God, and if you pray truly believing in God's power, unanswered prayer is not going to be one of your problems. You will be one of those people whose prayers get answered. Let's stand. Father in heaven, I would be remiss this morning if I didn't, first of all, thank you for hearing and responding to our prayers. The simple fact that you are willing to do that, to open yourself up to us and to hear our prayers and respond to our prayers is amazing, considering how unworthy we are. And so we praise you and thank you for that and your willingness to do it. On our end of the arrangement, Lord, help us to be the kind of people whose prayers excite you. May we pray the right way, with the right attitude, and always with big faith. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.